0: Did you know that you could invest in crypto through your retirement account? That's right. iTrust Capital allows you to invest in over two dozen of the most popular cryptocurrencies. And unlike the stock market, you can buy and sell 24 hours a day. With iTrust Capital, you also get the tax benefits of a retirement account while investing in crypto. Set up an account at itrustcapital.com today, and you'll even get a $100 Bitcoin funding reward. Go to itrustcapital.com. Taxes and conditions may apply. Fees apply. Bitcoin funding rewards subject to terms and conditions. Cryptocurrencies are a speculative investment with risk of loss. iTrust Capital, Inc. does not provide legal investment or tax advice. Consult with a qualified legal investment or tax professional.
1: This is the Cubs Related Podcast presented by CubsInsider.com. My name is Corey. I am joined as always by Brendan, and we are coming to you on Sunday, September 12th, the Cubs and Giants wrapping up a three-game set at Wrigley Field. And Brendan, you know, we had talked kind of recently, the Cubs doing a a lot of work to reverse some of the uh, draft status that they had built with with some winning streaks and some Frank Schwindel heroics. But the first-place Giants, one of uh, the the best teams in baseball, and you kind of saw that this weekend, bring the Cubs back down to earth as they sweep this three-game set at Wrigley Field.
0: Don't worry, Corey. Your draft position is now back in play. So I know you were a little bit concerned there for a bit, but have no fear. You're still competing for like a top six draft pick. You'll be okay. Yes. And that is, uh,
1: of course, not necessarily the lead of the weekend. The lead of the weekend was 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 welcoming back Chris Bryant, who is not uh, a member of the Chicago Cubs anymore despite how often Brendan and I try to dissociate from reality and kind of make that so. Um, Chris Bryant comes back to Wrigley Field, and that was really weird, Brendan. I went on Friday and Saturday. I didn't make it to the game on Sunday but, you know, a, a lot of emotions there. The the first thing that jumps out, though, is I was very glad to see, at least in the, the first at-bat of every game, in addition to the pregame ceremony on Friday that they did, standing ovations every time. So I think yeah. from my perspective, you know, just, uh, again, I was there for two of the games, but, you know, just taking a look at... Cubs fans, Wrigley Field, and and their reception and how they're and how they should have been welcoming Chris Pratt back and and trying to thank him. I think the fans uh, did a, a really nice job. I, there was a lot of number seventeen jerseys, you know, like I said, standing ovations every first at bat, even on Sunday. Like so, they'd already done it two straight games and that pregame ceremony. So nicely done by the Cubs fans to I think hopefully remind chris of how important he is and you know while the fans don't have anything to do with the baseball decisions or the uh, financial decisions things like that you know i think uh really a job well done from the fans perspective of hopefully letting chris know how we feel
0: and apparently when they got in the giants when they got into chicago uh i guess there was a group of fans outside their bus at 6 a.m waiting for for kb And so he was kind of shocked and surprised about that. But I always expected the Cubs fans would do something memorable, but it exceeded my expectations. Like, good for Chris and good for the fans to do this before the games, during the games, after the games. He's leaving Wrigley Field. There's a huge group of fans just, you know, giving him his due credit, which he massively deserves. And. I feel as if he never got that type of ovation ever during his time as a Cub. It was always assumed, and this is how it is maybe for these types of players, but it was always assumed that anything outside of borderline perfection was unexpected. Like He was expected to be that MVP type caliber player. And maybe some of us took that for granted at times, but it feels as if this time coming back and seeing the current state of the team, maybe we all took it for granted a little bit
1: yeah i mean it was a very weird weekend to be back there i i always kind of try to relate it back and i'm sure some of you guys listening can kind of you know understand this but especially being able to go to so many games during this past era right like starting in 2015 and experiencing chris's rookie year and all of the sort of heights and the accolades that he was building towards in some of those seasons and to be at the ballpark now obviously i mean i i was born in the 90s i've gone to wrigley field plenty when the team is bad and it's not full and and the the vibes are not off the charts right so that's not a new experience but it is a new experience like in this context like as of late Right and and so, be, seeing Chris there in another uniform while the Cubs are you know throughout this series anywhere from like twelve to thirteen games under five hundred, they're in fourth place. It it just was really kind of jarring, like the difference, um, you know, a year makes or a couple years make, right? Like just so many games with Chris Bryant. In the Cubs lineup at third base or in the outfield on, on a number of occasions, and just comparing that to sitting there on Friday and Saturday this weekend, it was just it was very very strange and and again kind of jarring to step back and be like, man, like this is where we are, like this is this is how we've fallen and
0: and this is what's going on. But well, that was your first game back at Wrigley since everything yeah. happened, yeah. right? Yeah, so, I mean, like, for you, that's got to be a little bit of a, a of a shock. You've been to quite literally hundreds of games with Chris Bryant in the lineup. So, seeing this, like, if I were you, I, would, I mean, first off, I would not have gone. Like, I, I I know Chris needs that type of ovation, but I'm not doing but that. I, told like, I don't him, want to I mean, put myself to, through that. So I know you I trust, to. But, I like, trust, I can't you know, our,
1: our fellow Wrigley faithful, but I just needed to know that at least two of those seats were filled with people that were going to be standing and... Clapping for him and, and making sure he heard that. So,
0: yeah, good. For it was. You, man. Um, I can't do it.
1: I, look, am I going to say that I was crying on Friday? The jury is out on that. None of you technically have any proof that I was. Uh, so you know who knows? Maybe, probably. I don't know. Um, Just a definitely a little, little, little teary. Yeah. Um, no, but really though, I definitely did on Friday, um, and I. I didn't really until they showed him on the video board and he was visibly crying. Like when he was pulling up his jersey and pushing his sunglasses back and there were a few photos that circulated of him just like really visibly like going through it, right? That was the stuff where I was like, oh, okay, like I'm not going to be able to handle this because like that (laughs) was just the absolute worst.
0: I was surprised he did that though. I was surprised he showed that much emotion. I thought... We saw when he got traded in the dugout, you know, he hugged Anthony Ioposi, he showed some emotion, but that did surprise me because he's been such a stoic figure for this team. Like even coming up as a rookie and and facing a lot of the hyper-media attention, he always seemed as if he handled it well. So the fact that he's out there in a different uniform, you know, tearing up with the video board, it's... I miss him, Corey. I mean, that's that's really what it comes down to. It's like when you see that, it's like, oh man, like how much money do you want this off season? One hundred and seventy-five. Okay, just like give it to him. Give give this man. Yeah, his I mean, money. I'll start a go fund me. Um if we need to. Yeah, I
1: mean, I think that you know, it just sort of speaks to what he felt about this team and this city. And you know, I think you watch a highlight video like that, and it sort of puts your career into perspective. And, you know, he's uh, not an older guy. I mean, obviously, he's he's grown up over the years kind of in front of our eyes. But, you know, I think younger than watching you. that video, like, you know, he he went through a lot here. Like, he got married during this time. He won a World Series. He had a child. Like, and you're looking back on all these highlights that kind of surround all of your real life stuff. And I, I think it just sort of it got to him and and yeah just sort of visibly overcome with emotion and the response that he was receiving and again like on this podcast you know especially because you Brendan have interviewed Mike Bryant on here before we talk with Evan Altman from cubsinsider.com a lot who's spoken to Mike Bryant uh, a lot over the years you know we've always tried to preach to you guys that any of the the stuff in the media about Chris not wanting to stay in Chicago or or being upset about the service time stuff and things like that was very overblown, and he loved being a Chicago Cub and and didn't want to yeah. play anywhere else. So we we've tried to sort of spread that that gospel, if you will, right? Because it's it's not a narrative; it's just the truth coming from you know the the Brian family and and Chris himself. And I think you saw that on Friday. I think you saw someone who you know, was kind of like coming to terms again, probably not for the first time, but coming to terms again, like this period of my life is probably over. And I didn't necessarily want it to be that way. And I love it here. And I love these people. And uh, yeah, so that that was maybe it's not over. Maybe it's not over. I you know, maybe it's just a brief hiatus. I hope so. I mean, you know, certainly you watch those presentations. I mean, they have to do it, but it certainly feels like there's some finality to it. Um, well, what else do you expect? No, they they have they to do, do it. But I mean, else. I'm just saying, as you're yeah. watching it, you're going, "Well, this certainly, you know, feels like there's there's something final to this." But I know, I, yeah. I know, like I I won't spend too long on this, but I know that David Ross and Jed Hoyer were both out this weekend with COVID. But there, you're going to say it, aren't yes, you? Yes, there there's just something okay, like <laughs> Tom and Crane. <laughs> Being on the field for that is not my favorite thing in the world, right? And like, so I was thinking about Tom's the owner of the team. Who else would it be? I get it, but like, does the business president Crane Kenny need to be out there? Like the two guys who, when we're talking about all this budget stuff and the biblical losses and doubling the budget and going over on the stadium renovations and things like do they need to be out there while you're welcoming back a guy you traded
0: because you're not gonna pay him in the off season? like i don't know like come on and mccloud too like no offense to McLeod or anything but there's no doubt about it his value across the league as an executive has but at least gone down he was like part of the 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 group that drafted him, him. like For he sure. brought
1: kb sure. here and I don't think really it's just like those other two, it's like if you're looking at things as to like, gee, why isn't Chris Bryan here anymore? It's like those two guys like kinda play a pretty significant role in that. But yeah, yeah look, like
0: But it was weird too, man. Like even when um even when the Cubs put up the banner at Wrigley in twenty seventeen, I just thought it was bizarre how the owners threw out the first pitch yeah. with like the you know, the trophies like, all right, well, you know. They, they like we get it like you know you own the team or whatever but there is a degree of narcissism that i feel is if like they're trying to replicate like a jerry jones type thing.
1: well i think that's and, i think
0: that's that's pretty much in every sport right you see
1: that when teams yeah. win a title you know usually the owner is the first person that gets given the trophy and i think that's always been not really like something that uh most fans agree with like obviously they own the team like it's their team they can do whatever they want and there's plenty of arguments that sort of, like, justify that. But I think from, like, a fan's perspective and, like, an outside perspective, it's like, well, you guys didn't really win anything. You know, you paid for it. Yeah. But, like, nobody you, cares you about watch,
0: you guys, right? Like, Did you watch that Saving Wrigley yeah, documentary? I think talking like, about it a little bit on here and how okay. I mean, how much the, they, the reason I bring it—yeah, well, the reason I bring it up is because the, the, the name Ricketts brought up in that documentary was, like, over a right. 100 times— Right. So it's like the, the documentary was cool to see all those like behind the scenes Wrigley work, but like no no one cares about the owner. Right? Right. I don't know how many more times I need to say that. You're just a temporary speckle in this franchise's history. You're gonna be forgotten in eighty years. Just like everyone else is forgotten. So it's a little it's it's, yeah, I mean it just
1: it it and again, like this isn't just unique to like the Cubs or the Rickets. It's like you know, in the nineties, like nobody wants to hear from Jerry Reinsdorf, right? We want to hear from Michael Jordan. Like let him speak. Give him the trophy, right? We don't need to hear from Jerry, right? Like so yeah, look, again, I get it. I totally get it. I'm not an idiot. Um, And again, the two people who may have filled in those spots, and Jed and David Ross, were not able to be there because they were out with uh, COVID. But like, I don't know, just like Tom and Crane being the guys welcoming Chris back while we're all in the stands, literally sobbing because they traded Chris (laughs) instead of extending him. It's like a little on the nose for just like, okay, guys, like this is a little weird. Uh, But anyway, like it was... uh, it was, it was a good weekend in the sense that I, I think it it paid the respect to Chris that I think that he deserved. And, and one and
0: thing- And I thought the Chicago media handled it very well, too. I was concerned that they would ask him about the Jed Hoyer stuff when he was saying, oh, you know, did you want to be a Cub? Because, right. you know, Jed said he didn't want to be a Cub. And they handled it really surprisingly. Surprisingly so. Yeah. I mean, some of them. I mean, like, other guys are great. Like, you know, like, Patrick Mooney, Sahadev, uh, those guys are great. But like, you know, Jesse Rogers in that type of group, I was a little concerned, yeah, though.
1: But yeah, it did generally kind of focus on what does Chicago mean to you? What does these fans mean exactly. to you? What does it mean yeah. to be back here? Stuff like that. So um, that was a lot of good stuff. From the the stands, I don't know how this came across on on TV, but on Friday and that first at bat, you could kind of tell, I think, that probably because he was still overcome with emotion and he's just a generally humble guy but even from my seats you could see him kind of look out at kyle because of course kyle stepped off the mound he would have stood behind the mound for as long as the fans were standing but you could kind of see chris nod at him like let's let's go like i don't i i can't i can't do this for much much longer just get on the mound and let's play play baseball
0: yeah, I didn't I didn't pick that up. It's funny that you picked that up. We didn't see Kyle's reaction on TV. We just saw like KB's reaction and, you know, Wilson behind the dish. So, yeah, I, I at least
1: there there was and and it, and it it was also, you know, I think an acknowledgment on KB's part of like, "Hey, I appreciate you, you know, letting this breathe a little." But he, you know, was getting back in the box like it just had and from from my viewpoint, it just sort of sense like kind of a, "Okay, like I'm going to start crying again. Like we we can't. <laughs> yeah. We can't drag this on. Like let's just"
0: You know what sucks? We have two more of these. We have to do Javi, we have to do Tony. So this, is, this is just Phase number guys one, could
1: come back. That's not on the schedule for this year, so we could avoid that.
0: We could? But I realistically, realistically, you know how it is. Yeah.
1: I tweeted this today, yeah. but I do mean it, so I'll repeat it here. Uh, sometimes I tweet things that are very sarcastic and I do not mean at all. This I did mean. Um, being there for these games, I am not prepared for an Anthony Rizzo version of this. Love Javi, but, you know, KB was always just one of my guys, more so, you know, kind of like my feelings on Lester, et cetera, right? We all have our favorite players. Love Javi. It would be very emotional to go to these games for him as well, but it just didn't necessarily compare to how I felt about Uh. KB, and I'm, like, sitting there thinking, like, yeah, I can't do this for Rizzo. There's just no way (laughs) I'm going to be able to function through that.
0: Well, you're going to have to prepare for it. I guess it's like good in a way that KB did it first, that we kind of got prepped for what's to come. But it's going to come, Corey. It's going to happen sooner, sooner one way or another. Yeah,
1: so Get ready. that is uh, the status of the Chris Bryant return, just from like a, an emotional perspective. I saw that him and his wife, Jess, gave out cookies to a lot of the game day employees you know not like the 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 players or the press or anything but you know just a lot of the people working around Wrigley and working in the clubhouse and stuff they're just you know th- this was part of I think you saw it a little bit this weekend and and his quotes and everything that he said you you kind of just saw like he he and his family just all class man they they always were and and again that's not uh to say that Uh, you know other guys are not classy and and respectful and stuff like that but Chris was just one of those guys who always on the field off the field handled himself just so well and so professionally and you just saw that again this weekend in, in how he talked about things you know the the way um like i said him and jess you know thinking of of i i don't want to say the little people but you know all the 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 little parts of what made their experience in chicago what it was and you know not did you get a cookie no i i did not um i i like to think i played a big part in chris's time in chicago but you know okay. i i i understand he can't give every if he gives me one you know there's 40,000 fans there he's got to give everybody one so i i understood right. um but yeah, so that was uh, that was that experience. It was very weird, very sad and emotional. And uh, that's that. I suppose they they gave KB the number seventeen from the scoreboard. They gave him a big banner with the year twenty sixteen on it, which uh, Brendan, you may not remember, is I the year that the was Cubs that won the World Series. And Chris was uh, on that team. Series, he actually yeah. uh, was yeah, yeah. the National League MVP in that season MVP. Some, okay. uh, and he made he made the last out too yes right? he did the and series, then he had some very okay. big and clutch hits and home runs in those mm. playoffs and in that world series mm. which again was won by the Chicago One. Cubs so with that uh we can go to the series that was the Giants do sweep this series 6-1 to on Friday 15-4 to on Saturday, six to five. On Sunday, I will give you one guess, Brendan. Even though you know, but I'll give you one guess. Which of those sure. games, based on the score only, did Zach Davies start?
0: I've had some pitchers I've really disliked on this team, and nothing against him personally. <laughs> I'm sure he's like a nice guy, yeah. but I can't do Zach Davies yeah. one more time. I I just can't. I just can't do it. The guy. The guy is absolutely brutal. I I, don't, I, I mean, my God, Corey, it is. It is, it is beyond painful at this well, point. Well, Saturday was, um,
1: who was it? Quintana and uh, Juhuli Chassin when we used to call it the Brendan yeah. Bowl a few years ago. That <laughs> yeah. was kind of what we had on Saturday um, in Zach Davies versus Yo Boy Kevin Gosman. It was.
0: I yeah. know, man. I can't wait. So you were kind of wait. and the only the only hitter that can handle Kevin Gossman Frank was Truendor. Everyone right. else, <laughs> everyone but. else uh, was 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 completely fooled. There was one GIF of uh, by the pitching ninja. I don't know if you saw it, Corey, to Patrick Wisdom and cost Gossman threw an eighty four mile per hour splitter in on the hands, and Gossman or uh, Wisdom probably thought it was a fastball up and in and he's just like laughing at the mound at Gosman cuz his swing is so god ugly that's how good that pitch is that pitch has to come to Wrigley Field Corey has to
1: well this wasn't I deserve specifically it. meant to be yet another are you guys as sick of hearing yeah. brendan talk about kevin Gosman as i am he's good it's been 7 but, years you know it's just like this is this is brendan's thing um i think with davies like in particular what is so frustrating about it. I mean, look, he's got a five and a half ERA, right? So th- it's easy to be frustrated. It's, I don't think it's rocket science as to why I would assume most of us do not like watching him pitch. But I think it's it's a combination of the trade that he comes over in, right, in in the U Darvish deal, and also just like what we had seen from him during his time in Milwaukee and then just not getting that at all, right? And I don't know, you know, how it would have affected things. And you know, obviously, he throws a combined no hitter at the beginning of that losing streak that ultimately sort of like seals the fate of this team before the trade deadline in 2021. Um, But we just didn't get like, even if if the if the team had gotten the version of him that we had seen at times as a Brewer, like you just feel like things, you know, maybe go a little differently this season. Maybe not. Probably not. But I think that just sort of adds to the frustration. You'd generally be frustrated with a guy that's got a five and a half ERA. But then combining that deal. he came over in the deal for Darvish and by all you know factors figured to be like a pretty decent option, right? Like in the middle of your rotation to go behind some
0: of these other guys. And that is just not what the Cubs have gotten. They misfired. I think with Zach one of the reasons they did go after him was to try to change things up with his uh, pitch location. You know, how we've been covering, how sinkers and two-seamers are being elevated more by Cubs pitchers. They attempt to do the same thing with Zach Davies. He has not done so successfully. Maybe that was bad for him. Maybe that was just a misfire, and he just can't adjust like that. Uh, Regardless, I'm sick of watching him. At this point, I, I do wonder why they just don't DFA him. Like, seriously, like just... The FAM, maybe some other team that's like in a weird competitive window i guess at this point with three weeks left wants to use them or something like Arietta. but just like why why is he pitching for us like at what point what value does this serve i do not know the tank the tank just to lose games. well was, yeah was i mean i
1: said to you the other day that you know, I think you asked this question to me uh, when we were talking on the phone, and I was like, I think he's balancing out Frank Schwindel. Like, Frank Schwindel is winning too many <laughs> games for this team, and so somebody needs to go out there every fifth day and balance things out a little bit and, you know, kind of keep keep the Cubs in that draft Which position. Which makes
0: sense. Sure, makes sense. Maybe that's a smart way of going about it.
1: Yeah, so... Anyway, that was also a rough day for Manny Rodriguez, gives up five earned in this one three walks, um, walked in a run. Rex brothers with a rough day, four walks for He's another Rex. one, man. I can't watch that guy anymore. Yeah. Well, there there's definitely some guys who have kind of uh regressed to I think what they looked like more on the eye test a little bit. But yeah, Saturday was a rough game. Um but We did get a better start from Kyle Hendricks, so that was nice to see. I know we've talked about him on here a good bit, so won't do a deep dive in there, but six innings from him, four hits, one earned, two walks, and four strikeouts, so a pretty solid day. He did strike out Chris Bryant in that first at-bat on a nice changeup, so KB getting a look uh, on the other end of Kyle Hendricks' changeup this time. And then on Sunday, I don't know if you have uh, some stuff for us here, but we might as well talk about Justin Steele, Brendan. So on Sunday, five innings, 11 hits, five earned, two walks, four strikeouts, and he does give up a home run to uh, Wilmer Flores with a runner on. So, you know, that line certainly, I think, leaves a lot to be desired. Um, You know, still a couple walks. 11 hits is obviously quite a bit. Five earned runs isn't great. But from a progress perspective, are, what are the positives in the takeaway? The, this was, uh, again, five innings on 101 pitches. So does, you know, continue going not deep, but, you know, five innings is is okay for where he's at and 101 pitches this time, so upping that pitch count pretty significantly. What did you see from him today? And, you know, I, like, I, I guess the question I would have for you is someone who's digging into him more, right? Like, is there... What are the positives or what are what are your takeaways in terms of his progress as a starter, even when you're looking at a line like this that in a vacuum is obviously not very impressive and maybe you're having to dig for it, but just given where he is in this, the project that, that he's on, what are you looking at besides
0: just this box score? He threw 100 pitches against potentially the best offense in the national league Corey. so that that is progress now granted the results weren't the best but he was able to last compete adjust and for a starting pitcher who's developing that's what you want to see you want to see progress now there are some cases where you do have young pitchers and they just blow away the competition those are the unique guys not saying steel can't get to that point but realistically what do you expect from steel To go out there and just shove against the Giants like it's nothing? No. I mean, these guys are legitimate veteran grinding type hitters. When you look at the type of hits he gave up today, I know he said after the game that his, his command was not the sharpest. He fell behind in too many counts and did not lead with strikes. Those are fair. But in addition to that, he had pitches that were not in the strike zone. Being hit hard, for example, one home run he gave up was on an inside fastball to Wilmer Flores. Go back and look at this. Inside fastball, not not badly located, in kind of like by the knees, and Wilmer just kind of golfs it out. And then there's another pitch. This one on a changeup. Outside low in the zone, Buster Posey, of course Buster Posey, hits a double off of it. And that's just kind of how how it went. Uh, there were other hits that he gave up that were leaked over the middle of the plate, but they weren't extra base hits. The extra base hits he gave up were on borderline pitches outside the zone. So that's who the Giants are this year. They're able, for whatever reason, to grind at bats, hit pitches that normally other teams don't hit for extra base hits. Now, if you look at what he threw, he threw half of his 100 pitches as four seams so he's been doing the four seam two sink two sinker like back and forth type mix this game he went with his four seam and in previous starts he was using four seam slider mostly this start he threw mostly curveballs he did the same thing in his most recent outing where he actually used his curveball as his dominant secondary pitch did the same thing against the giants in this outing So I think from that perspective, that is progress just because he's showing a different type of pitch mix as a starting pitcher compared to when he was a reliever when he was throwing mostly four seams and sliders. So when you consider the pitch mix as being different as a starting pitcher and it's being different, which is leading to the ability to go 100 plus pitches in one outing against the league's, again, potentially best team, that's... That's progress. Now, you want to see better command. You want to see him get out in front of that bats. Don't want to see him fall behind. You want to see more whiffs. He had eight whiffs today. You want to see more whiffs, absolutely. But going forward, this is kind of what you expect. You expect some road bumps, but you expect progress that's not going to be immediate. That's just how it is, and you kind of have to reset expectations too. I think we all know, maybe maybe we all don't know, but at least in my mind, and I think it's safe to say the same thing for you, Corey. This team needs to make free agent acquisitions to bolster that starting rotation. So Steele is going to be in the mix, but I don't think he's going to be treated as a guarantee. I think he's treated as uh, the first depth spot and maybe they ultimately go out and do give him a spot in the rotation next year but it doesn't change in my opinion the Cubs' plans that they need to go out get more depth in their starting pitching preferably two guys who are like actual top tier starters and then you can put steel in the bottom of the rotation in that mix and then continue to have him develop but Overall, regardless of their future plans, I still think this is progress. You look at what Keegan Thompson's doing, that's not progress, right? He's injured, the pitch mix was all over the place, couldn't get through more than two innings without 50 pitches. Steals is on the different end of that spectrum.
1: Yeah, and on Sunday too, you know, obviously look, like he gives up the home run, you can't take it away. Um, But that did come with two outs in the fifth inning. So you know, at that point was almost through that fifth inning with just three runs allowed to, as you've said a few times now, you know, one of, if not the best team in the league, at least at the current moment. And again, you can't take the home run away. He's He's got to make those pitches and a two-run home run is a two-run home run, but gives up a, a ground rule double uh, to the next batter. We have a mound visit and then he does get out of the inning. So pushes that 100 pitch count limit, and gets out of the fifth inning, and, you know, altogether, like, it it's, you know, not a disaster of an outing uh, against a really good team. So I think you, you got to give him a lot of credit for that. But just on that note, like, I was sitting there at the game on Friday and, like, looking through the Giants lineup, and, I, like, I was, like, you know, I kind of did, like, a double take. I mean, like, in the game on Friday, and, you know, he hasn't had a great season, but, like, they've got Yastrzemski hitting eighth. Like with a 760 yeah, OPS, like Crawford, Longoria hitting 6-7 in that lineup. I was like, man, like, I don't know. They grind. Obviously, they've been very good this year. But like coming into the year, I was just like, I did not realize the Giants were going to end up putting out a lineup that was that deep, right?
0: Well, no one did. No one did. They're they're killing those computer projections. But that that goes to the point of why I think the start for Steele was, was actually developmental sure, in yeah. a good way. And th- those guys you just listed off, like Crawford and, of course, you have Posey and, and those types. I'm not going to say his name because it's, it's going to kill me. But you have guys in that lineup that don't strike out, that make a lot of contact. So those are naturally difficult guys to get out. And for for Steele, I thought he did a great job. And again, I, I think it's important, too, to, to really highlight the extra base hits he gave up were not leaky pitches. They were they were pitches outside the strike zone. Every one of the extra base hits were. So that's 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 World Series caliber teams for you, Corey.
1: Yeah, uh, I apparently I I suppose so. The other thing, not that this matters, but like. Uh, I think it was a play on Friday. Like, dude, Brandon Crawford is nuts at shortstop. I love that guy. Uh, He's he, so fun he to watch, He just makes man. plays that are absurd. And for a guy that has been in the league like this long, I, they're, you know, like especially being able to go to so many games or even just watch him on TV and like having the luxury of watching Javi Baez play defense for the last several years, I feel like it's like rare, you know, to be at a game where you're like, wow, like you're like kind of blown away by the way somebody's playing and like, Crawford made one play where he ranged up the middle, like dove, and then backhanded the ball to yep. Listella, <laughs> yeah. and I was just like, "Whoa!" Like that was really something. Anyway, not that anybody I mean, he cares. has the
0: best glove work as a shortstop I think I've ever seen. Like like Javi's great, and he has great range and he's a great arm, but C- Crawford is just like it's effortless. it's really he's just gliding yeah. across the field. Yeah, really impressive, and also really
1: makes you um, appreciate Want a shortstop how badly he throws away that ball in 2016 um <laughs> yeah. to not get the double play um in those late that's on the the Hayward bunt right the Hayward yeah. bunt the Hayward bunt and he yeah. just hurls it and uh yeah anyway i guess i was just thinking about Thank that watching him make really slick plays he picked a really good time to mess one up in 2016 so yeah that's fun anyway moving on to um an interesting note Brendan, so let's play a game. I'm gonna list off two OPS numbers for you. And I want you to tell me who you mm-hmm. think each of these Cubs players are, right? Okay. Uh I it would be very easy if I said one of them was 1021. That's obviously Frank Schwindel, so that is not part of the game. That is his real OPS with a 340 batting average.
0: Yeah, the best hitter in the league, yes.
1: Also, my first time seeing him in person, and I texted you this, but the ball sounds good coming off of his bat. It's loud, Brendan. I love I think it. you I can tell it. that, like just all he does is hit, but like loud contact sitting there. So the two numbers that I want you to guess for me, um, a 741 OPS, this person has a 223 batting average. The second player has a 737 OPS, so a slightly lower OPS, and one point higher in batting average. So your two lines here, 223 average, 741 OPS. Who is that? And who is 224 batting average, 737 OPS? I think
0: everyone will be surprised at the results. Well, I'm going to guess one of them is Ian Happ. Um, I'm going to say Ian Happ is the 737 one. And the 741 OPS, I, I honestly don't—I am trying to think. Maybe—I uh, mean, Hayward's been god-awful. It's not Hayward. Uh, <laughs> uh, Wilson Contreras, maybe, for the 741? Okay, so you have the two players correct,
1: but—and okay. the reason I asked this question, so you've fallen right into my trap— Wilson Contreras has a lower OPS than Ian Happ after Sunday's game, 741. Ian Happ, 737 for Wilson Contreras. And I. there's a lot of takeaways, I suppose, you could have on that. They're very different players, and they've had very different seasons. Obviously, Happ's has been uh, much more extreme than Wilson Contreras's. Uh, Just, you know, obviously a real valley to start it and then now kind of peaking here coming into things. He, but I just thought it was kind of striking when I was looking at the box score from today's game, thinking, wow, like for as bad of, a you know, few months to start this season as Ian Happ had, I would not have pegged him to have a better... OPS than Wilson Contreras now for the record at at the end of Sunday Ian Happ with a 99 WRC plus so right now we kind of talked about this in the last episode he's doing that thing where you hover like basically a little bit below right at league average in terms of WRC plus again league average is 100 He's at 99, so just below, just below a league average offensive season based on WRC plus. Wilson Contreras at 103, so despite having the lower OPS, a slightly higher WRC plus. It it all. We we talked about Ian Happ a, a good bit in the last episode and and really the episode before that too. So we've done a lot on Ian Happ, but I I wanted to ask you about just what you've seen from Wilson Contreras. I don't feel like we've talked about him in in depth in the way that we have some other guys. Um you know, obviously he missed some time this year. We've talked a lot about the uh the big mistake that the Cubs made in not having a proper and quality backup to begin the season to give him rest and and keep him fresh and stuff like that and the effect that that kind of obviously takes on him, but we did talk about wilson in the sense of a contract extension and his comments about you know wanting to be a part of a winner and his comments also about how you know he felt the energy was different now you know post trade deadline and stuff like that but what what do you see from Wilson on this season? Because if things ended today, and I I guess I was just drawn to this because of the comparison to Hap in those numbers, like this would be a disappointing season for Wilson Contreras in terms of an overall offensive season. Right now he's, uh, uh, you know, almost a two-win player, so still a, you know, very valuable player. He's made great strides on defense and stuff, and above league average, but just not what I think all of us, and certainly I don't think what Wilson would have been expecting for himself uh, over the course of this season from an offensive perspective.
0: It's hard not to ignore the injuries though, and that's the nature of his position, and you do have to consider that going forward in future years for extension talks and your role with him in the middle of the order, but you can't ignore the effect of those injuries on his performance. You have, in one instance, he hurt his hamstring, which is The same type of injuries had for years now and then in another instance he hurt his knee those are both of course leg injuries that could be influenced by him catching so many innings when we compare him to hap hap had the injury with the collision but not nothing as drastic and worth the amount of uh, rehabilitation that that Wilson had to go through So it's hard to ignore that, but it is part of the discussion. And when you couple that with how the league has adjusted to Wilson this year, you do have to wonder at what point are you comfortable sliding in Wilson in your cleanup spot or your fifth spot for 2022? Does it make sense to go into the season assuming that he's going to be filling that role? And my my vision is is that i don't like giving that role to any catcher no matter how good that catcher is because the, even the best catchers in the league if you can get 550 plate appearances from that guy it's it's unbelievable you don't you don't see that these days and that's because of the injuries and the workload is just astronomical compared to for example a first baseman that being said wilson is going through an adjustment period And his numbers this year are a little bit odd. I don't know what to make of it. They're odd because his chase rate is down by about 5 percentage points. He typically chases around a 34 to 35% rate. This year, it's down to 30%. So slightly better than league average and kind of in the same tier as what you would see from Anthony Rizzo in years past. Also, when you look at his actual exit velocity numbers, they're pretty good. So his expected, uh, or rather his max exit velocity is better than 85% of the league, uh, 95% of the league. His average exit velocity is better than 85%. His hard hit rate better than 90%. And that doesn't really shock you. like You've seen how hard he hits to baseball. But for some reason... He's just not doing damage. And if you look at each individual pitch type, the first line that pops out is he's not facing as many fastballs. He faced around 55% 4 seams last year. This year, he's facing just under 50%. So the league has adjusted in that respect, which makes sense because he's crushing fastballs this year. He's had five more runs than your average hitter against fastballs. He's seen more cutters. He's seen more breaking pitches, more secondary pitches, of course, but he's really struggling against changeups. So I don't know if this is one of those things where he's like sitting, sitting on the fastball and just accepting if it's, if it's a changeup, then so be it. But that's that's his Achilles heel, so to speak. Every single other pitch is within league average range. He's Absolutely getting destroyed by changeups this year. I don't know if that's going to be a thing going forward. I don't really think it's going to be a thing because he's never been this bad against changeups in his entire career. My feel towards this is that what we're seeing from a actual run production point of view is confounded by his injuries and confounded by his lack of backup, a competent backup. That doesn't change. I've always said this though, even to you, like off off air, Corey. Like I. I don't like committing a ton of money and a ton of lineup stock, like a cleanup position to a catcher. I just think there aren't many catchers in the history of the sport that can sustain that level of high offensive uh, production. And so that doesn't, that doesn't change anything for me. And I, 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 like, I know Hap is close in numbers to Wilson at this point, but there, it's a very different scenario for me between those two.
1: Yeah, I think that's fair. I, I, there there definitely is a lot to consider on that. I think it just was worth kind of exploring just because I think if folks are looking at the numbers, just, you know, his slash line even, like it just is not necessarily overall in line with uh, some of the stuff he's done in the past. And I think-
0: But does that change anything for you with Wilson going forward? I don't think it no, does, I don't right? no but I don't I th- think so. Yeah.
1: Um no, cuz I I mean I think a lot of the points you brought up are are definitely worth considering and he's got, you know, a pretty solid um, you know, set of baseline production that we've seen from him over the years that I think is is worth investing in and and being a part of the team. It's just, you know, like we talked about when we talked about extending him, it depends what we're talking about and where you would kind of be viewing him uh in all of these plans right so that those are questions we can't really answer at this exact moment so well but you would not be
0: comfortable at this point like giving him a a, a nine-figure contract like a hundred plus million dollars i right? would have like, i don't, I don't yeah, think I would have some nerves about that yeah right and i think that's fair but but that's the market for like the top tier catcher right like jt Realmuto. i think made 110 and so it's, it's possible, this is all to say. It's possible Wilson's camp thinks he's in that type of tier. We knew from years past, Javi's camp thought he was in the same type of tier as like a Francisco Lindor, right? So it does beg the question does that change how Jet approaches even the offseason is Wilson going to be on the market and it's, I don't think he's going to but at this point you just never know what 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 happens and transpires with all these different conversations
1: yeah absolutely so um before we talk a little bit uh about this upcoming series and and one other thing here I do just want to read this we've checked on in on this a bit we we have talked about Cody Hoyer a decent bit on this podcast, but I do just want to read uh, just a a quick comparison of a couple tweets that I saw today. The first comes from uh, Christopher Comca, who's a great stats guy, um, and he says that Craig Kimbrell, this was on Sunday, has allowed at least one run in seven of his 18 appearances with the White Sox. That includes a blown save before the White Sox did go on to win the game, Uh, but he did blow the save in the attempt on Sunday. Just keep that tweet in mind as I read this next one, and that is from friend of the podcast, Jordan Bastian, who pointed out that the Cubs got two innings out of Cody Hoyer today. On Sunday, he has allowed just three earned runs in 22 innings pitched. That would be good for a 1.23 ERA in 18 appearances, so also 18 appearances, since moving from the south to the north side. So, Brendan, uh, just a couple tweets that I saw just comparing them, you know, for no reason at all. Um, And considering those numbers and also the fact uh, that Nick Madrigal has not even stepped on the field for the Chicago Cubs, although he did step on the field in a non-playing capacity this past weekend, making his first kind of visit to Wrigley Field since being a Cub. Um, Like, uh, th- that's one where like I don't know that we really have to wait that long to judge that Jed kind of won that trade right like Hoyer's been better than Kimbrel and we don't we're not even considering Nick Madrigal. some of these other trades right like the u Darvish trade years to bear that out right no matter how well Owen Casey's doing and he's moving up the ranks and things like that like that it's still years before we figure out like what the actual but even
0: even then, though, you can't... Right, yeah, like that, all that's kind of what I mean. It's just
1: like it's very hard yeah. to pin, like, who the winner is in a deal like that, right? And, you know, even some of the guys uh, that they got for Rizzo and KB, like, it, it it's hard to, to judge, especially right now, right? But, like, Hoyer's been a better reliever than Craig Kimbrell. So, <laughs> yeah. like, just on this <laughs> half of a season here like the Cubs won that trade and Nick Madrigal hasn't played yet. Now the Sox can keep Kimbrell, right? Cause he has that option so they can get another year out of him. The Cubs would have had the right to do that as well. So, you know, potentially like there's more to see here, but like right now, like you gotta, I think on the one, give Jed credit for uh, it's doing really well on that. Like Kimbrell, Uh, has not been that great for the White Sox and Hoyer has been really good and I think stands to be a nice piece for this team going forward and that's just sort of a a good transition to having been able to see Nick Madrigal show up a little bit at Wrigley Field this weekend just sort of get out there a little bit meet some of the guys check out Wrigley Field and just sort of you know
0: take in being a Cub now even though he's not able to play. No doubt. And I was thinking as you were talking about getting Nick Madrigal and, and Nico Horner's going back on his rehab assignment with this oblique injury, hopefully being behind him. If we did not acquire Nick Madrigal and you trade, which they did, you traded Javi Bias, there is a huge potential void in your middle infield, right? Like we know he, uh, Nico's potential, but even right now, we don't know what his role is going to be for 2022. We don't know if it's going to be that starting shortstop. And if that is the case, then if we did not acquire Madrigal, we could say the same thing about second base, where we have no potential viable option for second base nor shortstop at at, at at this point in terms of like stability and projecting what you can see for 2022. So in that sense, I know there's going to be some debate like, oh, you know, Madrigal, heavy contact, Nico, heavy contact, bad combination, Madrigal's defense may not be the best, but going into 2022... Everyone's mind is thinking that Magical will be your everyday starting second baseman, right? There's no questions about that. Whether that works out will be, we'll, we'll see. But given his contact rate being in the, the top tier of the league and that being the most useful stat to project future performance, it's pretty stable. He's your second baseman, starting second baseman, opening day, no questions asked. You do not even have to think about going into free agency and acquiring a potential starting second baseman. That is valuable right there. And then you consider what Hoyers look like, and also Jordan Bashan tweeted this out, since he's been acquired by the Cubs, his spin rate on his fastball has jumped from 2,300 RPMs to about almost, not quite 25,000, but, or sorry, 2,500, but pretty close to it. That's a big spike. So this is your classical modern day trade where you go out and you get stability in the form of Nick Madrigal, but also you get back a player who fits your type of development infrastructure better than he may have with the White Sox. And that's clearly the case given the rapid adjustments and enhancements to his pitch types that we've seen. So this is an obvious one. I thought it was kind of obvious at first when Jed made the trade, just because when you trade someone like Craig Kimbrell, who is arguably the most highly sought out commodity on the market, you want back something tangible, something that you don't even have to think about uh, being a potential failure. And that is Dick Madrigal. And... He was a highlight, but Cody Hoyer's a hell of a secondary piece, Corey. I think he's going to be slotted in there during the 2022 uh, offseason discussions as as a high leverage back of the bullpen reliever.
1: Yeah, absolutely, and it was
0: good to
1: see um, Madrigal at the field. You know, he talked about um, what Cody Hoyer had been telling him about being with the Cubs and stuff like that, which was great and talked about meeting Jed Hoyer, talked about hanging out with um, Nico Horner, who was also there at Wrigley Field, getting some work back. He's headed out on a rehab assignment. So kind of just good to see, you know, a little bit glimpses of the future, right? Like there's not that much runway left in the season, but at least good to see some of these things, kind of a a little glimpse, glimpse of them, right?
0: Okay, so the Cubs have an off day on Monday. They will travel to Philadelphia to face the Phillies for a three-game set. The first with a 6.05 p.m. start time. We have Samson on the mound for the Cubs on the year. He's 0-2 with a 2.2 ERA. He'll be facing Kyle Gibson for the uh, Phillies. He on the year is 10-6, a 3.38 ERA, having a quality year. For Philly, on Wednesday, another 6.05 p.m. start time, Alec Mills pitching for the Cubs. This season, he's 6-6, six six, a 4.35 ERA. Much of his ERA success coming as a starting pitcher. He'll be facing Ranger Suarez for the Phillies. Suarez, this season, is 6-4, a 1.38 ERA. Very low. On Thursday, they finished off this three-game set. The Phillies have not announced a starter for that finale, but the Cubs do have Kyle Hendricks pitching that day. Kyle this season is 14-6, a 4.54 ERA. We did not talk about it, but Kyle, his last start looked pretty good. Good to see that changeup working a lot better. And this season, the Phillies are 72-71. This is like a perpetual 500 baseball team, Corey. I feel like every single season, no matter what they do, either they're super bad or they're just like sitting 500 at this point. So the Cubs right now stand at 65 and 79 after losing and getting swept by the Giants, just to paint a broader picture here. So the Phillies are a difficult team, but also we have the Milwaukee Brewers facing the Cubs after this set. So the Cubs could very well go out here and lose like the (laughs) next uh six games right so that is a possibility I think the obvious things to look for this series are uh uh, Kyle Hendricks continuing to rebound and then of course looking at Alec Mills hoping that his success continues and also seeing what the outfield situation looks like Jason Hayward did leave the game looked like a pretty gruesome injury so we'll see what the outfield situation looks like with Michael Hermosillo out as well. Maybe someone will get more playing time. Maybe Rivas will get more playing time in the outfield. He did get time in left field, for example. Maybe Wisdom even shifts down to the outfield and they utilize someone else at third base just to give Patrick Wisdom some more looks out there in the outfield. But that's it. We're entering the middle of September here. So we have about three more weeks left. So buckle down, I guess, Corey. Baseball will be over before you know it. Well, you talking about the potential for them to
1: lose some games in a row. You think they've got a 13-gamer in them to top their uh, 12-game I, you run? You never
0: know with this team. You never they know They got an 11. They got it. a 12.
1: Right. You, think, you think they got it in them?
0: Well, now that Jason Hayward's not playing, Set yeah, the record, they're, in, they're, baby. they're in trouble. Let's go. <laughs> yeah. um,
1: Yeah, so, you know, I suppose the interesting thing about this this last run, aside from keeping an eye on a lot of the player stuff that we've talked about, is that the Cubs are going to have an opportunity to mess with some people's seasons. And I say that because as when we head into this series, the Phillies are two and a half games out of that second wild card spot, which is currently occupied by the Padres and the Reds who are tied for that spot. What a disaster it would be for the Padres to completely miss the playoffs, but that's a separate point that most of us don't really care about. Um, the Cardinals also now sit a game out of both of those teams, which also a complete disaster if these teams allow the Cardinals to sneak into the playoffs uh, while hovering you know a couple games over 500 all the time but the Cubs will have an opportunity to mess with both of those teams the Phillies in this one series here and then they've got two series with the Cardinals to finish up the year uh the last home games of the year four games with the Cardinals then a three-game set with Pittsburgh on the road, and then the Cubs finish this season uh, the first three days of October in St. Louis. So some potential for the Cubs to muck things up for uh, at least a team none of us like, and I don't know how many of you guys care or dislike or like the Phillies, but also maybe another team that we don't like. So That's, I suppose, you know, besides just the progress of a lot of these players, that's what keeps it interesting, right? Like it's, you know, that series with the Pirates is going to be woefully uninteresting, Um, but with you know the potential for Frank Schwindel and uh, the red-hot Ian Happ, right, to mess the Cardinals' season, I'm, I'm here for it, and you know that they're going to be here for it too. So we'll see what happens there. You know, maybe the Padres, the Reds go on a run, and and that's not really the case, but. It is always interesting this time of year when you're not competitive yourself to at least have games where there's potential playoff implications on the line. And this series with the Phillies and then eventually when the Cubs are playing the Cardinals will have that. So at least there's something. But I think that is all we have for you. One last note. It does look like Brennan Davis is going to be headed to AAA. Kind of makes sense, you know, the, the, the schedule for AAA running uh, later through September this year. So uh, likely just an opportunity for him to continue playing, get a brief look at AAA. Um, but, you know, obviously his progress has been great and we'll see where things are for him. Um, you know, where he'll start the season, uh, likely at AAA at this point, probably next year. But just cool to see him, you know, getting a chance at another level and continuing to progress as uh, the more, you know, the sooner he's in AAA, the sooner he is just one step from Wrigley Field and being a Chicago Cub uh, at the Major League level, which is something we are all very, very excited for. So congrats to friend of the podcast, Brendan Davis. Other than that, I think that is all we have for you. Weird weekend at Wrigley. The Cubs stinking on the field, uh, tears flowing throughout for Chris Bryant. But that is uh, the story of the 2021 Chicago Cubs and being a fan of this team. So as always, we thank you guys for joining us, for downloading and listening to this podcast, for giving us those five-star reviews in the Apple Podcasts app. We appreciate that very much and for supporting us in uh, social media or, you know, just being nice to us. You know, we're we're fragile guys, Brendan and I, so uh, your kindness uh, seriously does mean a lot. But uh, we will talk to you after the Cubs and Phillies wrap things up. Again, thank you for listening, and we will talk to you soon. As always, go Cubs!